Um, thank you for reading that out, Colin. So today we're going to be looking at prayer, and I thought I'd start with a small prayer before I do that. Um, Father, we we get distracted. We have lazy ears. Um, sometimes it's hard to hear what you have to say to us. Speak clearly through me and speak to all of us. Amen. Um, Jesus is asked here by his disciples, teach us to pray. And he answers with the passage that we have in front of us, that Colin has just read out. And essentially, what Jesus does here is he gives us a model prayer, which in and of itself is a guide to our prayer life. It's not just something that we should pray, though of course it is that too. And then he gives us two closely connected but two overarching, very important principles that should guide all of our prayers, right, with these two stories. And the way I see it, what's going on here then is Jesus is asked about praying, and he says how to do it and how to think about it. So that's what I'm going to talk about, how to do it, how to think about it. Now, I'm not going to spend as much time in the Lord's Prayer uh, as I am in the second part with the stories and the asking and the seeking and the knocking and all that. But previously, in this church, I think maybe, I want to say, two or three years ago, um, there was a series of sermons done on the Lord's Prayer by Christoph and others. And if I, what I say today whets your appetite for more on teaching on the Lord's Prayer, then you can go to the church website and look for a series called... 57 words that changed the world, right? Now, before I get into it, um, let me say one other thing. Prayer is a, is a huge topic. Excuse me. Um, I did some reading on it this week for two reasons. One is I was personally challenged by someone about my own prayer life. And also because of doing this sermon, right? I, I, I read a good book, actually. I can show you the best book I read was this one here, Tim Keller. I know he gets a lot of airtime. Sometimes you get sick of hearing about him, but this actually is my, my favorite book that he's ever written, I have to say. Um, I read that, and I read other things as well. And as I was reading, I realized very quickly that what God has to say to us about prayer all of what he has to say is not covered by this passage. In fact, if you were going to a passage to learn about prayer, I don't, I'm not sure if this one would spring immediately to mind. Because there is a lot, there's a lot more in his word about prayer, and uh, it's not here, so I won't be covering it all today. Now that's an interesting thing right there. This passage doesn't cover all the Bible teaches about prayer. Here we find he says nothing of when you should pray, or how often you should pray. He says nothing of the difference between prayer as a means of getting things and prayer as an intimate encounter with God. No mention of it. And yet Jesus here is asked a very direct question, teach us to pray, and yet I'm saying he doesn't cover everything. Am I therefore accusing Jesus of holding back or skimping in his answer? Not at all. But the fact that he here does uh, ignore these other, he seems to ignore any of these other important aspects of prayer, should tell us 
that what we do have here is some very, very important ideas. This is the answer that he gave to the question of tell us how to pray. He doesn't go into the other things. He only goes into this. So if you wanted to know about prayer, then the first part call would be what's written here. So what does it have to say? Well, there's, there's three parts. The large prayer itself, a story about a friend asking a friend for help, and then a story about a father who gives good gifts. So, firstly, the Lord's Prayer. Now, here, here's a question for you. Is this prayer here, um, set, is it a set or a model prayer for us to simply repeat when we pray? Or is it a framework for us to follow? Have you thought about this? It's both. It is at very least a prayer that can be said by you or me, or as it's laid out here, or more often than that, as it's found in in Matthew's Gospel. And in fact, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that it may just be the single set of words spoken more often than any other in the history of the world. And I'm going to talk for a few minutes about it being a a set or model prayer. When when Eric and I uh, pray with our kids, um, which we try to do it every day, but we don't, we very often end with the Lord's Prayer. Um, And in some traditions, the Lord's Prayer is used regularly and extensively. Uh, As you know, I myself grew up Roman Catholic, and repeating model or set prayers like the Lord's Prayer is an important part of Roman Catholic spirituality. And as a Catholic, you would hear it often. And of course, it's, it's said at almost every form of the Mass. So I don't just know how to say it, I can say it in six seconds flat. Right? But I realized this year that unless I took the effort to teach it to my kids, they probably wouldn't hear it at all because we don't see it, we don't say it, sorry, quite nearly as much in our own services. And if you come to our prayer meetings, generally speaking, our prayers are things we make up as we feel led. It's called uh, extemporaneous prayer, right? That's our style. And on top of this then, evangelicals tend, typically anyway, to, towards being more informal as opposed to being formal. Formality uh, doesn't seem real or honest or authentic. And, and these things, at least these days anyway, they, that, that's what we value. We value honesty, we value authenticity, etc., etc. We also are aware that a prayer is not just a way of asking God for things. Prayer is also an opportunity to experience God And so, dryly saying or even repeating a set prayer would, on the surface at least, appear to be something that would block us from experiencing something of God. Why would God respond with, as he does sometimes, a supernatural experience to to words that are not even ours? And it, you know, some people think this. And the end result of all of this is that set prayers can be overlooked or even deliberately ignored. I want you to know this is not good. Not only is the Lord's Prayer a good thing to pray, it is at times the best thing to pray. Um, the staff team, uh, we, we, we meet once a week, you probably know that, but we meet once a week and, and sometimes to start, usually to start off, uh, we go over a book that we've been reading together, a chapter of it. And 
We're reading a book at the moment, and it's a book of different people talking about things relating to youth ministry. And it's very good. And there's this one guy in it, and he's talking about his experiences of prayer. And he talks about how his prayer life changed from being uh, transactional to relational, right? You know, from just asking God for things to one where he experienced intimacy with his father in heaven when he talked to him. Now, when I read that, I have to say I was quite convicted because that wouldn't be normally my experience. And not only is it not my experience, I wasn't even looking for it. So, and I think most of us would understand what he was talking about here. Most of us have had times, as if I, where in prayer we have a profound experience of the reality of God. Has that happened with you? Once, twice, maybe more. It's entirely legitimate to believe this happens. The experiential side of our faith is not something I would ever deny. Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So to those who would say, and I've met some, I'm friends with some, that experiences of God that go above and beyond what we know and feel every day are false or even evil, are entirely wrong-headed. But of course, these things, the thing is, sorry, these experiences are not the norm. We don't have to have that experience every time we pray or worship or even listen to a sermon. But at least occasionally we will. But if we think that should be the norm, then I think we're only setting ourselves up for disappointment. Anyway, in this, in this book we are reading, the guy makes a point that his prayer life was quite dry and formulaic. And he says he felt his prayers were, were rigid and a duty, right? He says they, they weren't real, they weren't life-giving, they weren't the language of my soul. Now I know what he's talking about. He wants his prayers to be words that are guided by how he really feels and not guided by what is acceptable to those around him. He wants to be open to experiencing God in prayer and pray, uh, and not just to be asking for things that he needs, right? Now, I, I don't know the guy. I don't know if he would pray the Lord's Prayer regularly or not. But he reminds me a lot of what I hear about prayer, where the focus is on leaving formalism and moving towards, towards a more experiential kind of prayer, right? Which, as I said, is legitimate, but it's not the whole picture. For starters, every time I talk, even to my earthly father... As much as I would love to have a sit-down conversation with him, excuse me, and have him tell me things like, he loves me, he's proud of me, good to hear, right? As much as I'd like to hear that, quite often, all I want to talk about him with him is getting some practical help from him. I just need a lift with the car, Dad. There are many times when I didn't need to have a big, in-depth talk with him. I just needed help with some situation. It's the same with our Father in Heaven. Most of the time, our needs are basic and don't need a long discussion about it. And the Lord's Prayer is perfect for those occasions. We also, very often, don't have the time for that kind of prayer that lends itself to experiencing something of God. Whether it be in the morning with all the busyness of that, or at work, or before something important, or whatever. At those times, it is a blessing that we have access to a short set prayer from the Lord that covers everything we need. And then the last point I'd like to make is 
is this. Frequently, I hear that we need to be authentic. Authentic. We need to be real, like the guy I just quoted said, right? And again, I totally understand that. We want to be honest with God. We want to be honest with others when they ask us. Or sorry, we want others to be honest with us when we ask them how are they doing and what we, can we pray for you. And it does get tiring when the only requests for prayers are my aunt has a sore knee variety, right? No doubt she does and would be delighted of some relief. But do you not have sin in your life? Do you not have struggles in glorifying God in your daily walk with the Lord? How can I pray for you, brother or sister? Let me know, please. Despite this honesty, despite this, sorry, honesty and authenticity don't totally overlap. Um, They don't overlap. Being authentic is when you act on the outside in accordance with how you feel or think on the inside. Now I want to put it to you that if you're truly authentic, you will have a lot of problems in your Christian life. Because if you act all the time how you feel, that's going to create issues. It's, it, it's a bigger discussion than the point I'm trying to make here. But bear that in mind. Being authentic is not the great be-all and end-all that we make it out to be. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because in our thirst for being authentic, we have tended to let our interior life dictate how we act and live. This is, I was challenged on this during the week. And the result is, if we don't feel like something, we don't do it. And again, as I said, it's, it's a bigger discussion than my point here, but for the sake of this sermon, it's okay to acknowledge that God is good, that we are sinners, that we must forgive, that we have needs both practical and spiritual, and it's okay to do all of that, whether you feel it or not, with someone else's words. So yes, say the Lord's Prayer. They are the words of someone else. Yes, it's formulaic. Yes, it's a prayer in its own right, but it's a great one, so freely use it, because it covers all that you might need. And that leads us then to the, the last section, the last two sections, sorry, because it covers, because it covers all that one might need, it has also become the basis for many patterns of prayer throughout church history, Right? If you follow what we do here on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we usually have two prayers. The first tends to be focused on praising God for who he is and maybe saying sorry for what we have or have not done in light of it. And the second is usually asking God for different things. This follows the pattern that we see in the Lord's Prayer. There are elements of praising who he is, elements of asking for forgiveness and asking for what we need and asking for protection from ourselves and the devil. You might have heard of the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving and Supplication. Or you may have heard that the Lord's Prayer shows us that we can approach God as we would our own earthly father. And despite what I was saying only a minute ago, we, we should pray the Lord's Prayer as, as, as a set prayer. In a, but in and of itself, it also shows us that we can approach God and chat to him as we would anyone else that we love and respect. You may also have heard that the Lord's Prayer is like a mini systematic theology. 
It's very rich. It is very rich. We see worship, we see acknowledgement of our sinfulness, our need to do good, and of us as people with needs that are both practical and spiritual. If all you had was this prayer, a person could make a good stab at guessing what God expected of us in the Christian life. So it's certainly not just a set prayer to pray. It is a framework that should guide us on how we pray, right? And that's all I kind of want to say on that. But the two stories then that Jesus tells us about the friend and the father. And essentially I think what Jesus says here is with these prayers is that we can trust God for everything. Everything practical, everything spiritual. Now you might think, well, you know, is that not evident from the Lord's Prayer itself? Uh, If in the Lord's Prayer... There is a request for our daily bread and for protection against temptation. Then isn't it obvious that we can trust him for our practical and spiritual needs? Well, no, it's not. You see, Jesus tells us these stories because, well, for starters, he knows what we're like. We need constant reassurance of things that are true and beautiful. How often... Have we needed to be told and have displayed that Jesus loves us and is trustworthy? You might have heard that 50 years ago. You're still hearing it today. This is why we have the Bible. This is why we have preaching. This is why we have sacraments. This is why we meet with each other. God knows what we're like. And the other reason that he tells us these stories is because, as we'll see in a second, God is really, really good to us. He's better than we think. And the Lord's Prayer is actually, it's a very gracious uh, prayer. And we can ask God for anything we want, right? It's kind of radical, actually. And so Jesus tells us these two stories to underscore the truthfulness of that. It's almost as if he's saying, look, really, look, look, no, seriously, you you can ask him for anything. No, seriously, you can't, right? Listen to these two stories. That's what he's doing. So what did they say? Well, the first story has a guy. Is a guy. He's got visitors. He needs bread to feed them. Doesn't have any. So he goes to his neighbour at midnight. Asks for bread. The guy doesn't want to get up because it's too late. But because he knows he'll be ashamed if he doesn't, he eventually gets up. No, I. Um, I'm gonna be bold here, but I'll be bold with determination and say that your Bible in the pews, I think, misleads us at this point. If you read it as in the Bible in front of you, says you'd think that, well, the point we're here is to be persistent in asking God for things. I disagree with that entirely. Yes, the Bible teaches to be persistent in asking God for things. There is a parable to that effect in Luke chapter 18, but that's not what he's teaching here. The point here is this. Hospitality was a very, very important thing to the Jews, right? I think we've talked about this before. And it's important for us too. If someone comes to our house, there's a standard we expect from our host. But for the Jews, it's a totally different level. I mean, if I'd come to your house and I found out you were going out at midnight to get some bread for the breakfast, I'd be amazed. But the thing was, it wasn't out of the ordinary for them. There was an expectation, And Jesus plays off of this knowledge, you see, because the person in the house 
is under an obligation to get up and give him some bread no matter what time it is. And even if he doesn't want to do that, as happens in this story, the knowledge of how he would be viewed by others if they found out that he didn't get up to help his friend causes him to get out of bed. Right? So again, if you look at, if you look at verse 8, I'm making the case that his boldness refers not to the asker, but to the man in the house. This makes better sense to the Jewish culture. It's an entirely plausible translation of the Greek. And it makes better sense of the whole trust of what Jesus is saying. He says, ask, seek, knock. If you think this is about persistence in prayer, then ask, seek, knock becomes a, a way of describing continually seeking after something, like a detective who's on the hunt for his prey. But that's never sat right with me. And I think it disagrees over, completely with the overall tone of the passage, particularly with the next story of the gracious Father who gives us good gifts. So I say, no, this isn't about persistence. This is about our God who will give us what we need. His point then can be summarized like this. If it's true that our friends will give us what we want no matter what, no matter what they feel, how much more is this true of God? God is the ultimate friend, goes on beyond and above anything that our friends could do. Ask, seek, and knock then refers to different categories of things that are out, out of your reach. You ask for something that you don't have that others do have. You seek for something that you can't find or locate. You knock when you need to gain access to someone or some place. I'll say that again. You ask for something that you don't have that others do have. You seek for something that you can find or locate and you knock when you need to gain access to someone or some place. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Anything that others have that you need, anything you can't find, anywhere you need to get into, and anyone you need to talk to. That's what he's saying. You can pray about that. So what other practical need do you have beyond that, the, beyond what is covered by these things? I, I can't think of anything. And then this leads nicely onto his next and last story. As he has just covered all of our practical needs, he now covers our spiritual ones. And the story itself is fairly simple. He asks the fathers who are present if they would, in response to a request from their sons for a fish or an egg, give them instead a snake or a scorpion. No. Of course they wouldn't. Who'd do that? No one would. But us, who Jesus calls evil, if we know how to give good gifts, how much more then will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I don't want to get into, you know, what does he mean by calling us evil, but suffice to say it's not good, right? And that's exactly the point. Despite how Jesus sees us, he understands that we still will have the basic knowledge of how to give good gifts. So if we know how to do that then, how much more does our Father in Heaven know how to do it? And here is where I was saying that he moves to the, the spiritual side of things, because what he says is, how much more... Will he give us the Holy Spirit? And what does he mean by that? Again, it's, I think it's fairly simple. The Holy Spirit is what, is what we get 
and the fruit of the Spirit is the result. In the same way, the Lord's Prayer has practical elements to it. Um, it also prays for our protection from the evil one and from temptation. If you want to do something or not do something that you're struggling with, insofar as uh, you would do well to get advice, if you're trying to do that, then you would do well to get advice on the thing in question. But you still need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you had more of all of those things right now, how many of the issues in your life would at the very least be changed if not eradicated? If you were more loving or joyful or peaceful or patient or kind or good or faithful or gentle or in control of yourself. In the next couple of weeks, people all over the world where at least where Christianity is the nominal religion of the populace are getting ready for Christmas and one of the things that would be bought in their millions are books we're kind of doing it ourselves here books that are designed to help the reader become a better person and here Jesus is teaching us that effectively it's Christmas every day for those who can pray we got a good God who will give us what we need and will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask for it. Now that, I suppose, well I don't suppose, it does raise questions which I'm not going to answer today anyway about unanswered prayer or at least prayers that uh, don't get us what we want. And as I said earlier, there's a lot of things here about prayer that Jesus doesn't address. The main point to this whole passage is that we can either pray the Lord's Prayer as it is or see it as a framework for the rest of our prayers. And as we do that, we should know that we can trust him even more than, well, probably even more than we'll ever realize. We can trust him more than we can trust our friends to help us and more than our fathers to love us. So ask him for what you need. Now, as far as that passage goes, I could probably leave it there. Um, I've explained it. I think I've applied it. But I want to end with a little bit of a challenge. To me, as much as to you, this is one of the things I was learning during the week, right? Um, and it does, this doesn't apply to all of you, because I know some of you, and I know that you don't need this. But in the new year, or the New Year, sorry, is in a few weeks, right? And normally I hate New Year's resolutions. I always have. Uh, I made one never to do it, and I kept it. Um, but I think that might be the authenticity thing again coming into play, you know. Anyway, I'm going to do one this year. I want to challenge you, not now, not this week, not not after this sermon, well after this sermon, technically after the sermon. But in the new year, right? You got what do you got? You got we got three weeks. Okay? We got three weeks. And as it happens, we're going to be starting a Bible reading thing uh, church wide. So this this might play in well with us. 
I want to challenge you to find a pattern of prayer that works for you before the new year. So you got three weeks, okay? It's not easy starting something new, I know that, because you got to decide, what am I going to give up? Because none of us have more time, so something has to go. Now, find the time. Let go of something and find some way of praying. Some of you have the time to do the two-hour quiet time thing. That's not me. Some of you might find it five minutes at the start. I don't care. You've got three weeks to think about it. How are we going to do it? In the year, I want to find a rhythm of prayer that fits me. Right? And what I'm going to do to help you with that is, is this. As I was saying, I read this book during the, the week. And genuinely, it was brilliant. And if you've read it, um, the last chapter is actually very practical. It gives, a, it gives a kind of overview of how people approached personal prayer through history. And it was, I, I was blown away by it. And then it gives some very practical things about how you might do that yourself. Right? And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to photocopy it. You know, copyright be damned. I'm going to photocopy the last chapter I'll put it up on the on the on the on the on the website along with the the audio from this sermon for three weeks then I'll take it down and I'll photocopy it and put the hard copies at the back as well. Just read it. If that appeals to you what I'm just saying, read it, have a look, it's very helpful, okay? Um, and then come the second of January, because no one starts entering on the first of January. Or maybe they do, I don't know. In this new year, we can start a new way of incorporating prayer into our life. Yeah? Are you up for that? Give me a few more nodding heads. All right. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I think what we've learned here is that we have access to someone who loves us far beyond what we'll ever realize. And you want us to come to you. So I pray for all of us that we would find ways of making time for you. Help us to understand what we are gaining when we do. And just help us to make make the right decision for January. Amen.